heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The word of God for the people of God. Keely reading the scripture and then running up to take care of the kiddos. Thanks for doing Children's Church. Teresa and I have been uh, blessed to have Jeff and Laura come. They're from Grand Junction, Colorado, and uh, Jeff has been pastoring there for, well, around in a few other areas too for 28 years, and um, has just been good friends to us. So he arrived yesterday afternoon, and we've had a great time of fellowship together with them, and I know that we're blessed by having them, and I know you all are going to be blessed today to hear Jeff announce the good news of the gospel to us. Jeff, come and preach to us. Give him a hand. <laughs> well, good morning. Well, a couple of you think it's a good morning. Well, amen. It's wonderful to be here. Um, it's great to have my wife, my beautiful wife, with us today. Everybody calls her Lou, so feel free to call her Lou. And I'm honored to be here, known Bobby and Teresa for years and years, and uh, it's always a joy. I've come to this church many times. I don't think I've ever preached here before, but uh, fellowshiped here numerous times and um, feels kind of like a second home. So it's wonderful to be here. What I'd like to do before we begin, um, and I've started doing this um, at our home church in Grand Junction, I just want to ask our Father to fill us afresh with His Holy Spirit. It says in Ephesians that we are to be filled with the Spirit and to be filled again. And the Bible teaches us that we are temples of the living God. That the very presence of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he dwells within us. God doesn't dwell in man-made structures anymore. He dwells in a people. And let's just ask God to fill us with his spirit and give us ears to hear. Okay. Father, in the great and wonderful, magnificent name of Jesus, your son, would you fill us as your people afresh again with the spirit? Would you fill us with the Spirit of Christ once again? Not that we ever lose your Spirit, but in some mysterious way we're renewed again by a fresh touch of your Spirit. And Lord, would you help us today to behold Christ, to see him in his beauty. By the Spirit, may Jesus be magnified. May Christ be exalted. May he be lifted up. And may our lives and our hearts be transformed. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for this church. 
and I ask your blessing upon it. Father, I, I ask that you would expand their influence in the community and that you would give them favor in all that they do and that you would strengthen their fellowship together, that they would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, and help us this morning, God, to take your word into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts that we might be changed and transformed from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have this weird thing about cemeteries, and what I mean is that I like cemeteries. I like to walk through them, in particular, uh, to read the tombstones. Not too long ago, well, a couple of years, maybe it's about five or six years, we went to New England in the fall. It's something we had always wanted to do to see the colors. And we were somewhere in Vermont or New Hampshire, I forget the state, but um, we were driving some backcountry roads, and uh, there was just little cemeteries that you could walk to, and they were old. You know, the kind with tombstones that are, the, the writing is so faded, you can barely read it. And there were people there that had, you know, been buried in the late 1700s and early 1800s, buried in those places. And so I had um, a good time reading some of those inscriptions. And so I say all that to say that I want to quote to you what was written, not there, but on a headstone in England. Um, And this is the headstone of a man named John Berridge. He was vicar of St. Mary's Church in Everton, England. And this is what his headstone said. It said, Here lies the earthly remains of John Berridge, late vicar of Everton. Reader, art thou born again? No salvation without the new birth. I was born into sin, February 1716. Remained ignorant of my fallen state until 1730. Lived proudly on faith and works for salvation until 1754. Was admitted to Everton Vicarage, 1755. Fled to Jesus alone for refuge, 1756. Fell asleep in Christ, January 22nd, 1793. What a great testimony on a headstone. (laughs) A really popular line of conversation in dorm rooms, on podcasts, in coffee shops, talk radio, anywhere people like to gather and converse and relate is who or what is best at something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, let me give you an example. We like to put things on lists and rank them according to what's the greatest. In fact, there's a website called Ranker where you can put in any subject and it'll give you the lists of, you know, greatest, uh, most popular Italian dishes. And so you do the search and it'll pull up and people vote and it'll pull up the top 10 Italian dishes in the United States. And we like to put things in lists. For instance, we like to talk about, if you're a football fan, the top three quarterbacks of all time. Um, I have my opinion, Dallas Cowboys fan. It's been a rough existence for the last few decades. But uh, I personally think Roger Staubach's the greatest quarterback that ever played. 
Um, People like to talk about the top five Beatles songs or the top ten movies ever made. I mean, we could go on and on. I suppose it's, it's human nature to evaluate things, right? It's human nature to categorize life and to put it even onto some kind of list or ranking. And I've I've talked at length with my own friends about the greatest guitar solos in rock music or the greatest muscle cars. I like that subject because I happen to own one. Or the greatest players, the greatest hockey players of all time. And we will make lists of just about anything. I saw a list recently of the most popular discontinued sodas. Now, why would people make a list of the most discontinued sodas? That makes no sense. Stuff like uh, Pepsi Free, you remember that? Or the new Coke. You remember when they came out with the new Coke and nobody would drink it? So they discontinued it. Or Jolt. You know, four times the caffeine and twice the sugar. They don't make these things anymore. The top ten worst fads of all time. I think of things like uh, saggy pants. You know, they're kind of, I think that one's kind of around, isn't it? Still here. Or um, if you're a little bit older, uh, mood rings. Remember those? Fads or um, lava lamps. Okay. Well, let's get back to our point. I say all that to say... That's sort of what's going on here in Matthew chapter 22, because as the text was read, let me just revisit it. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So it's almost like The Sadducees and the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes have been sitting in a coffee shop making their own lists like you and I would talk about the best sitcoms of all time, except that the subject matter here is much more profound. It's much more serious. It's much more important. And there's much more at stake stake here than simply differing questions that we might have or differing opinions that we might have about pop culture. So, Jesus has already silenced the Sadducees with his answer to their question about marriage in heaven. You remember that? He, you know, they're trying to trap him, and, and you know, they ask him the question about a, a, a woman who's married to a series of brothers, and they all die, and in the resurrection, whom, whose wife will she be in heaven? And Jesus simply answers, you, need, you neither understand the Scriptures or the power of God. And so, as I was studying this text, I became keenly aware of the absolute importance of Jesus' answer to this question of what is the greatest commandment. So it's like they're saying, Jesus, of the more than 600 commandments that are in the law, that are in the Torah, which one is the most prominent? Which one is the most weighty? Which one is the greatest? Which one is the most important? And if we can personalize this for just a minute, let's just use our imagination. Let's imagine that we are there ourselves, that we are in first century Israel, and that we are in the crowd that's hearing this exchange. And the most wonderful person, the most gracious person, the most important and most beautiful person of all is right in front of us, 
And we are hearing him answer this question about what is most important. What is the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus says, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your being. It's simple. It's direct. It's deep. And you know what else it is? It's very clarifying. Because basically, what Jesus is being asked is, God, what is most important to you? That is to say, what are you after from us more than anything else? What do you, have you ever just said, God, what, what do you want from me, God? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? What do you want, my, what do you want me to put my hands to? What should I be about? Well, what if this is the answer? What if this really is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with your whole being. You see, y'all, God desires that we love him, that we engage all of our faculties as humans in this act with our heart, our soul, our mind. And Mark 12 adds with all of our strength as well. But Jesus is not finished He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a, I have to confess something here because this this message is a little bit of my testimony. When I hear Jesus say the greatest commandment is to love God that way, and then I hear him say the second greatest is like it, that I'm to love my neighbor as myself, I have to confess that my first response is not joy. You know why? Because I don't love God that way. Never have. I've never been able to do that. So this is deep water. So the commandment comes to us, because this is recorded for us in Scripture, the commandment comes to us, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the question that we have is, how's that going to happen? Is anybody with me in this? How's that going to happen? How is someone like me, with all of my hang-ups, and all of my inconsistencies, and all of my fickleness, how can I ever keep the greatest commandment? In fact, I am keenly aware that even on my best day, on my best day, I don't love God that way. Much less love the people around me as I love myself. It's not that I don't have the desire to, but I just, I just don't. I don't do it. And I'm not alone. Because at any given, mo- any given moment, <clears throat> All of us could make a list of all of the stuff that we love more intently and more passionately than we love God. Now, I know this is, I'm just getting right down, right down in the dirt here. You know what we love more than God on a regular basis? We love our safety and security more than we love God, or at least our earthly safety and security. We love our comfort. We all wrestle with this this intense need to be liked and accepted by other people, right? We love that. 
We love our stuff. We love our possessions. And here's the deal. And by the way, this sermon's going to get better, okay? (laughs) It's not that we don't love God at all. And it's not that we don't love God even a lot. Okay, so I, I mean, I think I love God a lot. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I do. It's just that when the commandment comes to us, and when it crashes into us, we become aware that we do not love God like that. What does Paul write in Galatians? By the works of the law will no one be justified. So if the goal of our Christian life is I'm going to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, and that's going to make me right with God, but then you have Paul saying, by the works of the law, will no one be justified. What does that say about our capacity to base our Christian life on our capacity to keep the greatest commandment? Can't do it. Do you know what we need? We need an intervention. We need, we need a rescue. Because the standard is this, right? Here's the standard. You shall love God with every atom, with every molecule, with everything in your whole being. This is God's standard. He created you for that. And this is what he requires of you. It's in his law. It's in Deuteronomy 6.4. It's part of the Shema. You shall love God this way. Here's the standard. I don't do it. I need a rescuer. See, this is what the Father wants from us, and this is, this is the, the glory of it, because I also, we hear the commands of God. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, that we hear the commands of God come to us, and they bring delight to us, and they bring joy to our heart, right? But then they also condemn us at the same time. But the part of this commandment that brings delight to my heart, and it actually brings a lot of delight to my heart, is that God just wants me to love him. He wants me to know him. He wants me to enjoy him. He wants to be uppermost in my affections and in your affections. And this is fascinating indeed, because this goes all the way back to Genesis as to why we were created. Why did God create us? Did he create us to work for him? Did he create us just to do stuff for him? Seems like I recall Jesus praying in John 17, before he goes to the cross, he prays something like this, Father, I pray that they would know that the love with which you have loved me might be in them and I in them. He's praying that, Father, my desire is that they would know that you love them in the same way that you love me. We're loved by the Father in the same way that the Father loves Jesus. You know what? We hardly believe that at all. We really don't believe that much. We, we really don't believe much that God the Father loves us the same way he loves his son. Well, there's a clue here in this greatest commandment that the Father wants our heart. And it's fascinating because it's, it's not really about 
do this, but don't do that, like the other commandments are. The greatest commandment addresses our loves. It addresses what we love the most. It addresses what we value the most, what we, what we treasure the most, what we hold in highest regard, what we hold most tightly to on our scale of the value of worth. That's what the greatest commandment does. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul. And really, all the other commandments of God flow out of this great commandment, right? Okay, so just hypothetically, and here's my point. Well, actually, I'm working up to my point. If we were able, and if we did in actuality, love God with all of our being, we would never lie, we would never steal, we would never cheat, we would never bear false witness against our neighbor. We would never have no other idols before him. You understand what I'm saying? Because all of those transgressions, when we transgress those things, flow out of our not loving God with all of our heart. Because when we love God with all of our heart, all those other things take care of themselves, don't they? Didn't Jesus say something like that? So this commandment comes to us and we are exposed as fickle creatures and we hear it and it makes our heart leap on the one hand, but then we see something else being manifested in our life. We see our weakness, we see our disobedience, we see our inconsistency. And the verses I was referring to in Romans 7 are Romans 7, 22 and 23, where Paul writes, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. How many would say that is my testimony? Right there. The, co- the command comes, the law comes. What God desires and requires of me comes to me, and my heart goes, yes. And then I look at my life and I go, no. We need an intervention. So we find ourselves condemned by the same law of God that brings joy to our heart. So what are we to do? Is this the end of the story? Well, listen to Romans 7, 24 and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here's the deal, y'all. We love God. I love God. And I believe I love God a lot. But I don't love God the way the Shema tells me I'm supposed to. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross for that, too. He died on the cross for my inability to love him that way. Christ has come. Listen, y'all, and we get to be in Christ. We get to put our faith and trust in him, and we get to be in Christ. And his righteousness is imputed to us. It's like we'd never sinned and always obeyed. And because we are in Christ, and it's not just that, He is also in us. 
And Jesus prays this also in John 17. He says, Father, I am in you, and you are in me, and I pray that they would know that they are in us, and because we are in Christ, all the favor that rests upon Jesus, the Son of God, rests upon us, because we are in Christ. We are as righteous as Jesus is in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. So now when I hear the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. It's not a threat anymore. Now I am in Christ, and Christ has fulfilled my inability to do that rightly and completely. And his obedience is credited to me. So, Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' work on the cross is so great and so glorious and so true and so beautiful and so good that it covers my sorry excuse for a Christian life. And that's really good news. That's, that's just like the best news of all time. I have a confession to make. You know, Scripture says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. I have always struggled to greater or lesser degrees with having a consistent, quiet time, devotional time, Bible reading time. I've always struggled with that. And it's all, it was always kind of drilled into me growing up that if you're a Christian, if you're a real follower of Jesus, you're going to meet with him every day, and you're going to pray every day, and you're going to study his word every day, and you're going to do all of those things. And, and um, I have to confess that that experience in my life has always been kind of like this. It's been just kind of up and down and inconsistent. And this may not be true for you, but for me, for many, many years, I don't do it anymore, but for many years, I always evaluated my spiritual standing or how much God loved me by how successful I was of having my devotional time with him every day. And if I wasn't doing well, I would put myself into time out with God. And after I spent a sufficient uh, enough a time in time out and beating myself and punishing myself, then I would try to get back in the saddle again and get right with God and do you know what all that junk is? It's not trusting in the gospel of grace. It's not trusting in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice for us. It's us trying to clean ourselves up, trying to present to God a new and improved version of ourselves to him, us trying to take credit for only something that Jesus can do in us. And I heard um, Jared Wilson, some of you may have heard of him, preaching in a sermon, or maybe it was in a book, and he said that Christ's sacrifice is big enough and great enough to cover your sorry excuse for a Christian life. And I thought, thank you, God. And you see, you know what that makes me want to do when I hear that and I take that in? It makes me want to run to God instead of run away from Him. It makes me want to run to Him. And this really, and the Lord has really showed me this over the past couple of years, that a sign that you are growing in your faith is that when you blow it, you run to him instead of away from him. It's the first thing you do. It's your default position. Instead of fleeing from him, 
you've come to this place where you know the gospel is so great and, and Jesus loves you so much and that he has done it all. He really has paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin is cast a crimson stain, but he's washed it white as snow. You run to him instead of away from him. Isn't the gospel good news? Well, back to Matthew chapter 22. In verse 40, he says, On these two commandments depend or hang all of the law and the prophets. So the two commandments are love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a real mind-bender that all of the law, which is the mind of God, and all the prophets, which is the working out of his purposes in history, can be summarized in vertical and horizontal love. Now, there's some similar texts you could look at. Um, Matthew seven twelve says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Or Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Okay, so, so the law is meant, in a sense, it's meant to be gathered up in something greater than the law itself. Just like Jesus went to the temple and said, there's something greater than the temple here. You know, the, the law represents the will of God and the mind of God and the purposes of God. But it's like under the canopy of the love of God. So that when we love God and we love each other, now we're in the flow of what God is really after. See? And what the law does to us is is that it exposes our sin and it exposes our need for a Savior. That's what it does. It's doing its work. And it does its work really well. So, so we hear, love God with all of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do this? We run to Jesus. Look at Romans 8, 3, and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Listen. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's what Jesus has done. He's fulfilled it. And through faith in Him, the law's requirement is fulfilled in us through Christ's work. What a God and what a gospel. Only Jesus is the source of this kind of love. Philippians 2.13, and let this encourage you, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Church, listen, it's God who is at work in you. It's the resurrected Christ doing his work in you. You are temples of the living God. You are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Creator God, His Spirit, the the Spirit of God Himself, who was present at creation, who knew you in your mother's womb, even before you were born. He lives inside of you. And He loves you. The very thing we cannot do, God Himself has done. By faith we are in Christ, the perfect one, the obedient one, 
We trust and he works his life in and through us. We believe he transforms our affections. He transforms what we love. This is the gospel working itself out in our lives. In Genesis 15, 6, before the law was ever given, Abraham believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so you may be saying, all right, pastor, I hear everything that you're saying. I see it in the Bible. I don't know how to get there from here. I'm just in survival mode. I can't work this up. Well, no, you can't work it up, and you never were meant to. But you can stand in the life of another. You can choose to stand in Jesus' resurrected life. You can stand in Jesus' obedience. You can stand in Jesus' work and in Jesus' sacrifice. If you believe that Jesus bore all of your sins at the cross, you can also believe that he died for your failure to love God with your whole being. He covered that sin too. God is so good and so merciful and so kind and so true. Tells us in Ephesians that it's going to take all of eternity to unpack the lavishness of his grace toward us in Christ Jesus. What he requires of us is what Jesus came to do for us so that we could put our faith in him. Let me close with this quote by Robert Capon relative to the grace of God. Because y'all, a gospel without the proclamation of grace is no gospel at all. Listen to what he writes. The Reformation was a time when men went blind, staggering drunk because they had discovered in the dusty basement of late medievalism a whole cellar full of 1,500-year-old, 200-proof grace, bottle after bottle of pure distillate of Scripture, one sip of which would convince anyone that God saves us single-handedly. The word of the gospel, after all those centuries of trying to lift yourself into heaven by worrying about the perfection of your bootstraps, suddenly turned out to be a flat announcement that the saved were home before they started. Grace has to be drunk straight. No water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. Neither goodness nor badness nor the flowers that bloom in the spring of super-spirituality could be allowed to enter the case. What I'd like for us to do as we close this is just stand together, and I'd like for us to read together Romans 8, 1 through 4. Let's read it out loud together. And let's believe it in our heart as we read it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, 
could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen.